Our friend Mike Lindell has a passion to help everyone get the best sleep of your life. Mike created the new Giza Dream bed sheets. They're amazing. I use them. I love them. You will receive two for one low price plus free shipping. Call 1-800-685-7221. Use the promo code CARTER. Gosh, I love that. I love that music as we're coming in because it feels American. It makes me feel like I've got a pair of Levi's on and I'm riding a horse in Montana somewhere. But guess what? Right now, I literally feel like I should be opening the show with like the Soviet national anthem or the Chinese national anthem. You're saying, whoa, wait a minute. What, Sarah? Why? Because my gosh, are you even watching the news? I'm like, I cannot even believe what I am hearing come out of the mouths of some of our intelligence officials, senior officials, uh, obviously from the Obama administration, not from the Trump administration. I haven't heard that yet. But talking about how Americans are insurgents and how we have to like basically go through our military and find all of these white supremacists. You know, General Austin is promising us that. What kind of craziness is this? This is not America. I don't even know what's going on here. And I'm going to talk to you all about that on the show today with me. One of the foremost experts, remember, I'm bringing a lot of people here to talk about China. And one of the top experts on East Asia by far is Gordon Chang. He's coming up on the show with us. But first, I want to talk to you about AMAC. I'm trying to push every time I come on my show. All of the the organizations that are pro-America, America first, not America last, AMAC is America first. It believes in the values that have made America great, faith, family, and freedom. That's what I believe in. I know that's what you believe in. And AMAC offers an alternative to just about every single benefit that AARP tries to offer you, which is completely to the left. It's a liberal agenda. I stand with AMAC. And I hope that you will too. I encourage you to join today at amac.us slash Carter. That's amac.us slash Carter. The benefits of membership are great, but the cause, it's even greater, guys. Join today at amac.us slash Carter. You will not regret it. I want to talk to you about what's happening in our country because I feel frankly like when we're watching the news or even when other people are telling us about the, uh, you know, the situation that we're in right now, that, you know, there's no perspective to it, right? We're hearing little 30-second clips here and there. We're not really understanding the complexity of this. In fact, I think for many of us, I know a lot of you out there, you're wondering, whoa, is there some kind of big insurgency happening in the United States? I mean, all these senior officials are talking about it. You know what I say? I say that is what we call mission creep in the war. And I've talked about this before. In war zones or when you're reporting from the Pentagon on the possibility of a war overseas, there's always these little leaks, money, supplies, logistics, um, something happening in that region of the world. Uh, A lot of times it would be like the Taliban's gearing up for a spring offensive against ISAF forces inside the region. And uh, U.S. officials are talking about uh, elevating the number of troops uh, to the region by 1,000 or by 10,000. Well, this is mission creep inside the United States, which is absolutely totally creepy, if you ask me. 
I know I was playing on those words. Funny, huh? But not so funny when you think about how this has affected our nation for not just not right now. This has been mission creep, you guys, since be the 1970s, since the 1970s. And I'm going to tell you how we got there, right? And how our government has slowly and then rapidly over the last four years taken a hold of our most essential value, okay? Fourth Amendment, unreasonable search and seizure. That will not happen. We are protected by the Fourth Amendment. We're protected by the First Amendment, right? The right to free speech. And we're watching those slowly erode away. I want to talk to you about that. I want you to hear this sound clip. This is from Tucker. Um, I, uh, I love this. This is Molly Hemingway, and she is talking about our situation right now in the United States. She's a great friend. White of nationalist insurrection. Again, it was awful. It was not that. But you've got to ask yourself, why are they claiming that it was that? Think about it. You know the answer. Everyone knows the answer. Though almost everyone is too cowardly at this point to say it out loud. And the answer is this. They're saying that despite the fact they know it isn't true, so they can lump you in with the people who broke into the Capitol and punish you for crimes you did not commit and never supported. If what happened on January 6th was a riot, and it was, then we can arrest the rioters and punish them, and we should. If what happened on January 6th was an insurrection, however, if it was a failed revolution, an attempted coup, then it's something else entirely. If it's that, then we need a military response. We need a new war against our own population. And not surprisingly, that's exactly what they're calling for. And folks, that is exactly what they are calling for. I can tell you this. I know this. I watched this happen in my career overseas. I watched the expansion of intelligence agencies and the collection of data and information that I actually agreed with when it became our enemies overseas. We have very legitimate enemies in China, in Russia, in Iran. Uh, in, want to talk about insurgencies? Let's talk about Islamic State. We're not done with them yet. You want to talk about insurgencies? The Taliban, still an insurgency. We should be out of there by now. And then we should have what I call a lily pad strategy, which a lot of people in the military have discussed, where you have special operations operators, forces, fast groups that can strike in other parts of the world if we find credible, actionable intelligence that somebody is planning an attack on the United States, like the September 11th attacks, like the, uh, you know, a specific attack targeting one of our major cities or our people or our assets overseas. We should be able to strike and strike quickly and swiftly, mitigating civilian death tolls and mitigating the death to our own forces if need be. What they're saying right here, right now, is that there is a imminent threat, and Tucker Carlson is 100% right, an imminent threat inside the United States by U.S. citizens. And what they are asking, and I want you to hear me clearly, because I have spoken to people that have already told me this is in action. What they are trying to do is expand those powers in the United States with our intelligence agencies, that means a CIA that's supposed to only be operating overseas with overseas enemies. That means the NSA, 
and others, geospatial and others, there's a lot of them. We got 16, 17 intelligence agencies in the United States to spy on Americans. So if I get on the phone, let's say with my friend Dan Bongino, or if I talk to someone in the U.S. and we're talking about, oh, this is so frustrating, the Biden administration, you know, they don't care about our soldiers. They don't care about this. They're doing it the wrong way in China. Am I going to be an enemy of the state? Are you? Why are people afraid now to get on the phone? Look, CIA officer Robert Grenier. He's been really vocal. He's like John Brennan, right? He's been super vocal in talking about how we have domestic extremists who basically stormed the Capitol. That's not, look, there was not like a group of people that were like in with arms, like massive arms, driving tanks down Capitol Hill. It was a guy with horns on his head, a bunch of other people that got all riled up, right? And just went through the Capitol. There's still a lot of questions going on. Five people died, horrific Terrible tragedy, right? We've seen it happen before in riots. But this is not an insurgency. Tucker Carlson is right. Don't let anyone tell you that this is an insurgency, even if you're a Democrat. Why would you want that? Listen to Robert Grenier. This used to be the Democrats' playbook, right? We're going to fight with the ACLU. We're going to fight alongside the ACLU to stop, to stop the government from encroaching on your freedoms. You remember like when the FBI was spying on Martin Luther King or when the FBI, I mean, think about the craziness here or when the NSA in the 1970s, and I'm going to get to that, was spying on American citizens. I want you to listen to this CIA officer, Robert Grenier. I want you to hear him and I want you to understand what I just explained to you, mission creep. And I want you to understand why these officials that are advising the Biden administration, why they are making this public. This is disclosure. It's a warning to all of you that they are going to be watching you, listening to you, and observing you, and ensuring that you do not work against them in any way, shape, or form. Um, this is a way of scaring the populace. Listen to Robert Grenier here. Even at the seeming height of the crisis, immediately after 9-11, there really weren't that many members of al-Qaeda in Afghanistan. And the thrust of our campaign there was, yes, to hunt down al-Qaeda, but primarily to uh, remove the supportive environment in which they were able uh, to flourish. And that meant fighting the Taliban. And I think that is the heart of what we need to deal with here. Um, hunting down people who are, who are criminals. Hunting down, hunting down Americans, hunting down our own people. We have enemies all over the world that are targeting us now. And I believe there are enemies here that are taking advantage of this, this divisiveness in America. In fact, they're adding more fuel to the fire, right? We have to be very careful of that, whether we're conservative or whether we're leftist liberals. Now, let's just say not leftists, because the leftists would probably be very happy. And they're the ones that are actually promoting the divisiveness. Whether you're liberal, like Tulsi Gabbard, right, who came out and said, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Whoa, just stop. John Brennan is a direct, I mean, he, what he is saying is a direct threat to the United States. I don't want to say he is the threat. The actions that they are trying to partake in the expansion of powers in the United States are a 
really a threat to our nation's constitution and our foundation and the God-given freedoms that we base our country on. I want you to hear right now, Brennan, about spying on the Congressional Committee. This is from two, I think this is 2014. Listen to this. The question here is, is when you're talking about spying on a committee responsible for overseeing your agency, in my view, that undermines the very checks and balances that protect our democracy, and it's unacceptable in a free society, and your compatriots in all of the sister agencies agreed with that. Now, you disagree? Yes, I think you mischaracterized both their comments as well as what's in those reports. And I apologize to the chairman and the vice chairman about the de minimis access and inappropriate access that CIA officers made to five emails or so of Senate staffers during that investigation. And I apologize to them for that very specific inappropriate action that was taken as part of a very reasonable investigative action. But do not say that we spied on Senate computers or your files. We did not do that. We were fulfilling our responsibilities. I read the exact words of the inspector general and the exact words of the review board. You appointed the review board. They said nobody ought to be punished, but they said there was improper access. And my point is, in our system of government, we have responsibilities to do vigorous oversight. And we can't do vigorous oversight if there are improper procedures used to access our files. John Brennan basically got away and his CIA was spying on Congress. They spied on Congress and they got away with it. I mean, look, there's no other way around it. In 2014, Senator Dianne Feinstein, and I'm not always on her side with things, but she actually accused the CIA of spying on the Senate Intelligence Committee. It had, you know, basically had to finalize this report on the torture of prisoners. And it was about, you know, torturing Al-Qaeda prisoners and others. But it's not whether you believed that should have happened or not, not whether you were in support of black sites or not, or how the CIA handled that, right? And I remember covering all of that. I was, you know, I went, uh, actually, uh, I remember General Maples at the hearings at the time, you know, the army was saying that the CIA was wrong. The CIA wasn't, you know, uh, uh, the way it was torturing, you know, prisoners, uh, didn't lead to getting any good answers, you know, uh, waterboarding, all that other stuff. But the CIA, you know, actually spied on the committee that was actually gathering information for a report. Now, if the CIA had problems with the way Senator Feinstein's committee was gathering information, they should have voiced their concerns. But instead, they were spying on them. And nobody ever paid the price for that. In fact, the inspector general, from what I recall, wrote this really hard-hitting report on the CIA, and then eventually that inspector general was fired. So this is not something that is just transpiring right now. This has been slowly building, and John Brennan has been a part of it. If they were spying on a committee, Senator Dianne Feinstein's committee, right, that was investigating what was going on at the CIA, imagine what else has been going on. Do you really believe that these agencies have not, including the FBI, have not been spying on American citizens? I've already shown you they have. 
even though they're not paying the price for it, even though Kevin Kleinsmith is getting a slap on the wrist and some probation from the FBI for spying on Carter Page. I've already shown you that it's happening. I want you to listen to James Clapper in 2013. In 2013, lie to a Senate committee. He literally lies. He never paid the price. He never paid the price for that. Oh, but Roger Stone, who basically tried to skirt around the truth about his relationship with Trump and what he talked about and this and that. Remember, he was going to jail. He was going to go to jail until President Trump pardoned him. I want you to listen to James Clapper lie about spying on Americans. As you know, there are some fundamental questions about the balance between security and liberty that transcend just the FISA question. So what I would like to do is see if we can get a direct answer to the question about when the intel community needs to get a warrant, for example, when a lesser amount of evidence would do, and second, the circumstances when uh, no specific evidence is needed at uh, all. And the FISA law does not specify whether a warrant is required. So that's the reason that I'm asking the question. I asked it a I'd year like to ago. ask Director Mueller to, to, to help me with that question. And, and, and Mr. Director, I'm anxious to hear from Director Mueller, who I greatly respect, but I also need to hear from you with respect to the intelligence community. That's why I asked it a year ago. And I said, Senator Wyden, uh, in the case of the CIA and NSA, who were engaged in foreign intelligence collection, that's a practice they, they do not engage in. Huh. I got to tell you, that's not true at all. And we discovered that. We actually discovered that, uh, you know, through the leaks of Edward Snowden and others uh, revealing that information that, uh, yes, the NSA was collecting data on Americans, all of your telephone communications and different types of upstream data collections uh, the National Security Agency was collecting. I want you to think about, okay, let me, let me tell you a little bit about why this is so disturbing to me. And it's so difficult to investigate, right? Um, Glenn Greenwald has done a lot of great work on this. Actually, the New York Times used to do great work on this and the Washington Post um, because it's all classified, right? So what we're dealing with is classified documentation. You know, in order to find out, sometimes classified information goes public and that can be very dangerous. People go to jail for that, right? So a lot, there's not many whistleblowers in that field actually telling people. But I want to talk to you about people that I've known that have worked inside the NSA, retired now, people that talk to me that worked inside the CIA, people that are good people that really did the work to protect our country from dangerous outside forces, foreign forces, right? And one of the things that someone in particular that worked at the NSA at one point said to me was, you know, think about it. These tools Imagine if you could listen to judges, right, or lawyers or lawmakers or be able to read their emails or collect their data. Imagine the kind of power you would have. Imagine the kind of power over them. What if they were having an affair? What if they were homosexual but married? What if they owed a ton of money? What if they were, you know, uh, whatever, what if whatever they had, whatever they were doing? 
Imagine if you knew that. Imagine if you had that kind of power over them. What could you do? Get bills passed, uh, budgets increased, whatever. This is why we have protections in our constitution. This is why our founding fathers, with all their brilliance, said, mm-mm, you have a right. I mean, they have to have a warrant showing that there is a reason to search and listen and wiretap you and do whatever. We saw what happened with President Trump. I want you to hear this. I am going to, you know what, let me first set it up for you and then we're going to play the clip. This is the church hearings. And this is when the Democrats actually cared about civil liberties. This is 1975. Uh, the church committee basically at the time called CIA, CIA director William Colby uh, to testify. It was on revelations that U.S. intelligence agencies had engaged in controversial covert action against foreign leaders as well as U.S. citizens. It was Senator Frank Church and the committee. They held all of these hearings and published, listen to this, 1975, folks, 14 reports investigating the legality of intelligence operations by the CIA, the NSA, and the FBI, including attempts to assassinate foreign leaders, spying on Martin Luther King, what I talk about in the beginning, and monitoring political activities of other U.S. citizens. This was 1975, 1975. A lot of you listening to this probably weren't even born in 1975. A lot of you may have already been born. <laughs> I don't know, but that's to show you how dangerous and how long this has been going on. Let's play this clip. I want you to hear this. We have a particular obligation to examine the NSA in light of its tremendous potential for abuse. It has the capacity to monitor the private conversations of American citizens without the use of a bug or a tap. The interception of international communication signals sent through the air is the job of NSA, and thanks to modern technological developments, it does its job very well. The danger lies in the ability of the NSA to turn its awesome technology against domestic communications. Think about that. 1975. Do you know what those church hearings actually led to the passage of the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act in 1978? Was the FISA court. The FISA court. This is what we've been talking about the whole time, right? About the fact that the FISA court was given a false FISA warrant, falsified by Kevin Kleinsmith to spy on Carter Page. And we've seen that that wasn't the only one. There was a number of problems in the FISA court. And not only, it was not only about the FISA court, but after September 11th, the government expanded the power. So we saw that shrink, right? 1978, we got, you know, the FISA court and we're not going to be spying on you. You know, Senator Church, this huge hearing led by Democrats, you know, you can't just spy on whoever you want. Even if you think they're a communist, even if you think they are an insurgent, you have to have a warrant. You have to have a reason. You cannot usurp the Constitution of the United States of America. You just can't do it. Or guess what? We are not America. If that's the case, 
We no longer have those freedoms that are granted to us by our creator and granted to us by the Constitution of the United States, even if you don't believe in a creator, right? That's the reason why. We saw the U.S. Patriot Act. That expanded those powers. And I'm telling you right now, I am giving you a warning. I am giving you a glimpse into something you don't know is happening yet because it's not out there yet. It is not public knowledge yet. They are expanding those powers now, and they are doing it by fear, by saying that American citizens, American citizens in this country who are guaranteed the protections afforded by the Constitution are now insurgents, and they and they are a danger to the government and to this nation. It is not true. It is a lie. And I'm going to end it with this. I want to end it with Tulsi Gabbard. And have you noticed how many Democrats I've played here? Democrats, not Republicans, Democrats who actually called out all of this spying, right? Now it's the Republicans and the civil libertarians and Rand Paul who are fighting on the right side of history. I want you to listen to Tulsi Gabbard, how she reacts to Pelosi uh, saying that the enemy of the United States is within. Well, exactly. That, that's really the issue here. If, if this is a criminal threat, let law enforcement deal with it. If there is no evidence of what she is talking about, and if it's not true, then it is exactly that. It is inciting further division, uh, further uh, harm potentially, and further destroying the possibility of, of our country coming together. And this is why it's so important for Nancy Pelosi, again, if if these these accusations are baseless, she needs to apologize, not really so much to to her colleagues, but really to the American people who right now, more than ever, need leadership coming from the Speaker of the House, who represents all members of Congress and the American people to bring us together, for her and, and President Biden to de-escalate these tensions, to turn down the temperature, to denounce those who are seeking to undermine our civil liberties and our constitutional rights and who are inflaming these tensions, to say, yeah. hey, we are all Americans. We're all Americans and we need to come together. She's exactly right. But they don't want to do that. They don't want to do that because then they wouldn't have a reason to seize power then they wouldn't have a reason to expand those powers, uh, you know, that exist right now, which I think are far too much. I believed even with the House Republicans that they should have stopped this, you know, that this, that this should have not just been an investigation, you know, but that there should be rules in place to limit the ability for our government to spy haphazardly on American citizens. I think they need to be stronger and I think they need to be stronger than ever because the only people that are benefiting from this, it's not you. It's not you. It's not you in your kitchen. No American. I hope and I pray overall. Do you really believe that an American is going to walk up to the mall and do something like to you? Like there's these random groups that are threatening the life of you and your children. No, no. Look at your neighbor. Look at, look at one another. Look at your family. That's not going to happen. There might be some, some, some bad guys out there, but overall, overall, our nation is strong. Our people are good. Don't listen to these lawmakers. They are trying to divide you, not because they care about you. They're not saying this because they care about you. They're saying this 
to seize power. They are saying this to take away your rights. They are saying this to fundamentally change this nation. And if you give into this fear, and if you allow them to do that, not only will they benefit, but our foreign adversaries like China and Russia, who have been utilizing these divisions to gain more power for their own governments, will take advantage of that too. Don't let them do it. Hold your lawmakers accountable. Tell them it's unacceptable. You know, if you have to vote them out of office, but make sure you watch what's happening on Capitol Hill. Do not let these people, these crooks in Washington, D.C., seize more power than they already have. We'll talk about all that in a minute because I've got someone here who I think is incredible, uh, somebody who is going to explain to us uh, so much about what is happening in our world, particularly with China um, and how it affects us on a national level. Uh, before I get to that, though, I really want to talk to you about HomeTitleLock.com. And I would love for you to actually register your address with them. Um, I know you thought that COVID, uh, you know, was just something that, you know, you deal with at home, you're locked down, you're going to be safe for the most part. But one of the things you don't realize is that people are on their computers 24 seven and cybercrime is up like literally 75%. So even during the time of COVID, we have to worry about our online safety and home title theft is huge. It's a huge problem. Here's how it's done. The title documents to your homes are online now. The thief actually finds your home's title and then forges your signature on a quick claim deed. They just go ahead and forge your signature um, stating that you sold your home to them. Then he takes out the loans on your home and leaves you in debt. You won't know until a late payment or eviction notice arrives. Think about that. So go to HomeTitleLock.com and register your address to see if you're already a victim. And then use the code RADIO, that's R-A-D-I-O, to receive 30 free days of protection. That's code RADIO at HomeTitleLock.com, HomeTitleLock.com. I have Gordon Chang on with me now. You can follow him on Twitter at uh, Gordon G. Chang. That's Gordon G. Chang on Twitter. He is the author of The Coming Collapse of China and The Great U.S.-China Tech War. You will not want to miss this. Gordon, thank you so much for being a part of the Sarah Carter Show. I, you know, I have been really focusing this year on China uh, and, and East Asia. I think it's so important. And I, I try to tell, and I'm every one of you out there, as you hear Gordon talk, this is what affects us directly. You know, we are being affected directly by policies uh, taking place, uh, particularly with China. We've seen what's happened in Taiwan. We're seeing what's happening in Hong Kong. But I want to start off with one thing first, Gordon. I had on YouTube, I actually had done a podcast with Yoko Ishii. I don't know if you had a chance to meet her while we were overseas um, in Korea, but we did a big podcast in support of Andy Chan, head of the Hong Kong, former Hong Kong National Party. Uh, I spoke to her. YouTube demonetized me last week, not because of the election uh, in the United States, not because of Rudy Giuliani, but because of the podcast I did with Yoko Ishii. They flagged that podcast as dangerous and uh, not uh, recommended for anyone under the age of 21. So it was the first time that it really occurred to me that China may have a very deep reach, and YouTube has still yet to explain that to me, even inside of big tech inside the United States. Can you talk a little bit about that and what may yeah. be happening? Well, China has relationships with the big tech companies, but really more important, 
the big tech companies want to be in China. So, you know, they're thinking long term. They believe that they got to be there. And so they're not going to do things which are going to anger Beijing. If you look at Google, um, for instance, because you're talking about YouTube, you know, you look at Google and Alphabet, they've got these artificial intelligence tech sharing partnerships with China. They've got three of them in Beijing alone. They've got one with Tsinghua University, which is China's MIT. They got one with Peking University, which is China's Harvard. And then they've got the standalone Google AI Center. And that's very important for Google. Um, and we should be really concerned about that because they are, they are transferring US AI technology to these civilian institutions. These civilian institutions then pipeline it directly to the Chinese military. So there's a lot of different things here um, going on with not only Google, but all the rest of them. And this is a direct threat to us. Absolutely. I would I would assume it's a it's an extraordinary threat to us. And I don't think people realize how deep into the intelligence community some of these uh, big tech companies are. You know, Google has worked closely uh, with U.S. intelligence. Um, Google also works uh, and I'm not just limiting it to Google. We also know Facebook and Mark Zuckerberg have a lot of ties to U.S. intelligence on different projects. So having China with this kind of access uh, in inside our country, uh, I think is is stunning and and could present a direct threat. I want to talk to you really quick, Jen Saki and others have evaded the question of China's actual Huawei, uh, you know, five uh, G system in the United States. I believe that the Biden administration is very apt on bringing Huawei in here. Um, there's a lot of concern about that, and there was also there's also a lot of evasion of the Wuhan lab, you know, and the Wuhan lab theory. I want to play a quick clip here. This is um, an interview I did with Bill Gertz, and it was regarding uh, the current theory in the State Department report on the Wuhan lab. The Chinese biological warfare program is focusing on, on developing ethnically targeted weapons, we biological weapons that can kill or disable specific ethnic groups. I mean, this is a, an unbelievable thing, and I'm and I'm surprised that it's not getting more attention than other than my and Washington Times stories and, and other media. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? What do you think about that? I mean, it is true they're avoiding putting. I mean, even investigating these claims that are coming out of both from people that are are leaking information out of China, both the U.S. intelligence community, uh, those that are brave enough to speak out and are not in the pocket of the narrative of the administration. What do you think's going on here with that? And I mean, this seems like a very serious charge and a very dangerous one at that. Well, Gertz is right. We know from the 2017 edition of the Science of Military Strategy that's a publication from China's National Defense University. And in that 2017 edition, they actually talk about a new form of biological warfare of, quote, specific ethnic genetic attacks. And what they're talking about is the same thing that Gertz has been writing about, which is that China is developing pathogens that will leave the Chinese alone, but will attack foreigners. So that means the next disease from China could very well be something that kills civilizations outside China. And this shows you the maliciousness of the Chinese regime. They've got this doctrine of unrestricted warfare. You know, Beijing denies that, um, but this came from a book from two Chinese Air Force colonels, uh, 1999, and they're practicing unrestricted warfare against us because just one simple thing, 
we know that whatever the origin of uh, the coronavirus, we know that Xi Jinping took steps in December and January of last year that uh, led to the spread of this disease beyond China's borders. He had to know what he was doing because he was lying about the contagiousness while he was forcing countries to not impose travel restrictions and quarantines on arrivals from China. That means that this was deliberate. That means this was mass murder. And that has all sorts of implications that the Biden administration is not willing to consider. They talk, oh, you know, we should cooperate with China on COVID-19. They want to rejoin the World Health Organization. These are the steps in the absolute wrong direction. What's the worst that can happen by doing this? Because I, I, I agree with you 100 percent that we are facing an enemy and refusing to admit that that enemy is even there. In fact, we're placating to the enemy publicly. So without holding China accountable, without doing the appropriate types of investigations to expose what actually happened at the Wuhan laboratories um, and whether it was gain of function experiments with the United States that actually led to this or whether it was China just accidentally leaking this or purposefully because we really do not have all the answers. What is the worst that can happen to us when we don't face the reality of what is happening here with our with, with, with China's communist government? Well, there are two things, Sarah. One of them is that, first of all, we're not going to deter China. If we don't impose costs on China for deliberately spreading this disease, Xi Jinping will just naturally think that he can do this again. Um, and so that means that, you know, we're at a point where um, we're giving incentives now. Uh, and this is the second thing. We're giving incentives to China because we're supporting the World Health Organization which China controls, mm -hmm. because we know that the way that China got its false narrative out to the world was a January 9th statement and a January 14th tweet from the World Health Organization propagating the false narrative that COVID-19 was not readily transmissible from one human to the next. This right. was when WHO's senior doctors knew that it was highly contagious but their views were completely shut out by the political leadership of WHO. And Biden has just agreed to shovel hundreds of millions of dollars a year to those people who were complicit in attack that has resulted in the deaths of hundreds of thousands of Americans. And I just, you know, once again, I, I say it over and over again, the United States media is failing on every level to advise the American people of what's actually going on here. I, I mean, on every level. And I don't know if it's that a lot of these media organizations are getting money from China, uh, have connections to China. We've seen that in the past, but failing on every level to even ask the questions or hold China accountable. I want to go really quick because you, you know, you have spoken openly about China um, you know, testing Biden. Uh, it's a, it's actually a story right now um, at foxnews.com. Um, it was on January 27th. Uh, Gordon Chang, China testing Biden with incursions against Taiwan, India. This is a very dangerous time. I agree with you. I think China is trying to see how far they can push the Biden administration. Um, how far do you think China can go? And explain uh, a little bit of what your concerns are, particularly with Taiwan and India. Yeah. Well, with Taiwan, um, you had on, for instance, especially January 23-24, um, large air incursions into Taiwan's air defense identification zones. And on the 23rd, China used its nuclear-capable H-6K bombers to practice a run against the Theodore Roosevelt Carrier Strike Group, which was in the vicinity at the time, which means that China was practicing attacks on us. 
Now, with regard to India, um, just recently, there's been an incursion in a separate area. It, beginning in May of last year, there were the incursions in three areas in the Himalayas and in Ladakh. Now there's the incursion in Sikkim. Um, this is getting to the point where China is really going hard after India. So it's India, Taiwan, and we don't know where they'll strike next, but we do know it'll be against our friends and allies. And we need to meet them there because if we don't, we're going to be fighting them over here. Well, yeah, absolutely. That brings me to your book, The Coming Collapse of China. And, you know, you have a, a positive outlook, at least on the future, saying, look, China won't be able to sustain its behavior. Uh, can you explain that? Because I'm a little concerned, like maybe China can sustain this behavior if we have administrations that cater to China, that refuse to hold China accountable. But you're saying, whoa, wait a minute, the people of China, yeah. this is where things are going to change. Yeah, I got the timing wrong, sir, because in that book, I thought the Communist Party would fail by 2011. Um, I didn't account for the, I didn't see the uh, global downturn in 2008 coming. But right now, um, although China looks pretty fearsome, its economy is barely growing, if it's growing at all. It's got a demographic collapse on the horizon. And Chinese leaders, um, we know from their propaganda, are seeing a closing window of opportunity. We know they're arrogant. We know they're insecure. We know they think they can push Biden around. They believe that they got to do this quickly. So, you know, China, people worry about China middle of this century. Well, we got to worry about China now because this is the critical time where China thinks it does have maybe the last chance to accomplish historic objectives. In your opinion, what is the biggest threat China has posed to our nation? And and are we still at risk? There's one point I'd like to get across to your audience, and that is that China's Communist Party exploits all points of contact with the United States to overthrow our government. They did this, for instance, last year, where they entered into you know, all sorts of chat rooms. They used their Twitter bots, Facebook connections, all of it to undermine the United States, to actually encourage violence. They encouraged Americans to participate in violent acts. And they did this, I believe, to make sure that President Trump was not reelected. So we know that China is effective. We know that they're malicious. We know that they can accomplish their goals. And that means our country's at risk, which means that we cannot assume that we're going to have a country. Um, so I hope that answered your questions. I'm sorry I didn't, couldn't hear them. But this is a really a critical time for us. And I really appreciate the opportunity to talk to you on these things, on these oh. things. Oh, absolutely, Gordon. Thank you so much for joining The Sarah Carter Show. I really look forward to having you back on. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older. Or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. MIDI specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history, so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should, too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com.
Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Okay, so it's tough. I know we're dealing with China. We're dealing with really heavy issues in this uh, podcast. So I wanted to find like one story, just one, that would make us feel... Ah, that would center us, bring us some peace, bring us some calm. And Jenny Terry, you know, she writes for me at sarahcarter.com. She said, oh my goodness, Sarah, I know a story. It's great. It's Myanmar and a gal that was actually teaching an aerobics class uh, while a coup was building up behind her. I mean, you could see like the convoys of military, you know, trucks. And she's in this uh, like yellow and black, kind of aerobics outfit and she's just dancing while the coup is happening. I mean, how awesome is that? You have got to be a really centered human being to do an aerobics class while a coup is taking place. That's awesome. I want to be her. I love that gal. If we could find her, I want to interview her. I want to say like, wait, how did you do it? How did you feel? It's like, war happening and I'm dancing, right? Not even having to worry. Well, let's let's take a lesson from that, right? Life is not so serious all the time. Sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. Sometimes we move on. And that is what our teachers and the teachers union, mostly the teachers unions, they need to do. They need to move on. The CDC right now is saying, hey, let's get our schools back open. Our kids I know a ton of parents, all my friends. I'm so lucky. My daughter is in a private school. It's not even that expensive. I'm not talking like one of those highfalutin Washington schools. She's in a good little Catholic school. And all year she has been going to school. I feel so blessed. And it's been amazing. And no one's caught COVID at school. No one's transmitted COVID, knock on wood, at school. The teachers are safe. They're doing it in a very safe way. And my daughter is happy. And she's with her friends. And she's at school doing great. And I want that for all of our children, for all of your children. Don't you want your kids back in school with their friends? And they need to be back uh, for those that aren't homeschooling, because I love homeschooling too. I think that there's a lot of advantages to that. But we need to get our kids back in school, and especially for kids in underprivileged communities. I want to play, this is the CDC statement on going back to school. I want you to hear this. It's the full clip right here. Listen to this. Um, But I also want to be clear that there is increasing uh, data to suggest that schools can safely reopen and that that safe reopening does not um, uh, suggest that teachers need to be vaccinated in order to reopen safely. So while we are implementing um, the criteria of the advisory committee and of the state and local um, guidances to get uh, vaccination across these eligible uh, communities. I would also say that um, safe reopening of schools is not, um, that vaccination of teachers is not a prerequisite for safe reopening of schools. Dr. Walensky is right. Let's open our schools back. We have kids that are falling so far behind Uh, They're not going to catch up. Not right now. If they don't get back into school, we have children that are, you know, instead of 
listening and learning and being actively involved in school are participating in crimes because they have no parents at home to watch them um, and to support them. And we have a lot of children in underprivileged communities that aren't appropriately eating. Uh, they have, uh, you know, they're living, they're out on the streets. It's becoming a problem uh, for law enforcement as well as the communities. And just for our children, yeah, everybody's child, whether you're poor, whether you're rich, whether you're middle class, your kids do not need to be locked up all day in a house. And that is what is happening to our children. We're seeing a lot of studies where children are becoming very depressed, where children are spending way too much time on the computer, where they're not outside aerobicizing like our gal in Myanmar with a coup happening behind her. She's like, you know what? I'm going to live my life. I'm going to aerobicize. And guess what? We've got vaccinations now for COVID. Um, you know, I want you to hear this because this is what upsets me. And this right before I let you go, I just want you to hear this Chicago teacher. Chicago's a mess right now, by the way, um, say that despite accommodations, uh, COVID is still spreading. And these unions, they just these teachers just don't want to go back to school. Just listen. Your union says that agreements were reached on some serious issues like health and safety protocols, ventilation, contact tracing, and safety committees. Um, what is outstanding? What are your concerns that remain? Well, my concerns that remain, um, the number one concern I have is that COVID is still spreading in Chicago. Many of the communities in which we teach COVID is well above uh, 10% uh, community spread. And I don't believe that we've reached um, an agreement on the question of how are vaccines going to be distributed to the people who work in the schools, uh, let alone people in those hardest hit communities. You know what? If these teachers don't want to go back to school, then I wish they could just be fired. I think we need to do something about the unions. I mean, seriously, I don't, you know, I'm sorry, but like there's a job that needs to be done. It's one of the most important jobs for a nation is the education of our children and our children's safety. They are the future of our country. They are what's important here. We have resolved for the most part what's going on with COVID. We, uh, I believe as a human being that likes life and wants to live life and doesn't mind taking some risks. Uh, maybe sometimes I take more than most people uh, with my work, especially. But I believe that life is worth those risks. Now, mitigating those risks are the most important things, especially for those that are most vulnerable. But And the most vulnerable right now, too, is our children. Uh, they are suffering. Um, they are not getting the education that they need, and they're going to end up paying for it in the future. These teachers got to get back in the classroom, got to start aerobicizing and showing that they can do it so that our kids are not stressed out, so that our kids have a little bit of faith and a little bit of hope and so that they live their lives. Because one day we're not going to be wearing masks anymore. At least I hope not. And certainly I'm not going to be wearing two, three, four masks and I'm not going to be in a bubble suit. And if I am, guess what? I'm going to be aerobicizing like that gal in Myanmar with my bubble suit and the coup going on behind me. Thank you so much for being a part of the Sarah Carter Show. Thank you for being here with me. 
wherever you listen to your podcast, whether that's Spreaker, Spotify, iTunes, iTunes, very popular, uh, please leave us a review and a comment and give us five stars. I love those five stars. Um, and I and I do read your reviews and we, we do use them for stories. We love getting your story ideas. Thank you again. God bless. You are wonderful. This is America. It is still America. We are going to continue to fight for it in all the right ways. Today, I'm joined by Rebecca Weber, the CEO of the Association for Mature American Citizens. It's also known as AMAC. The most important question, I think, for so many people out there is, how much does AMAC membership cost? What does oh, it cost you for the asking. regular consumer? Yeah, so for $16 a year, okay, or or less, you can join at a one, three, or five-year membership. You get a couple of things. You get the benefits. You get a great subscription to a magazine. So for $16, you're going to receive a bi-monthly magazine. But your voice is now going to be heard in Washington. We take our marching orders from you. If you stand for faith, family, freedom, if you believe in the Constitution, if you believe in the greatness of America, if you believe in individual freedoms and everything you just said, Sarah, $16 is not a lot of money to join the 2.3 million members that are really fighting hard to ensure that America remains the, the best country in the world. Rebecca, thanks so much for being with me today. I'm honored to have you and AMAC as a sponsor for the Sarah Carter Show. You know, for more information, folks, visit amac.us slash Carter. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.